Popeye the Sailor Man. I am what I am, and that's all what I am. I'm Popeye the Sailor Man. And anybody who thought we were getting ready to watch a cartoon, I could sense the excitement when it started and then the disappointment when it cut off so soon. But I, I love the self-awareness. I don't even know if they show Popeye anymore. Kids today probably have no idea who that is. But I love the self-awareness of that statement. I am what I am, and that's, that's all that I am. And, and he knows exactly who he is, and he knows exactly who he isn't. And, and I think that is such a, such a refreshing example of an I am statement. We are getting ready to start a series right now of I am. And those are the statements that Jesus made explaining who he is and telling us what he is all about. And, and as we explore that, it takes, I think, a little bit, I just kind of want to set it up, that we have all these I am statements in our culture right now. Uh, a lot of people defined themselves for us. A lot of politicians do that. And it's, it's been my experience that when somebody tells me, the more they tell me that I can trust them, the more suspicious I am that maybe I can't trust them. If they have to keep reminding me every 60 seconds that they're trustworthy, it, it makes me feel that maybe they might not be. But politicians are quick to define themselves who they are. And in a lot of cases, they're talking about who they would like to be or who they would like you to think they are more than, than their statements reflect reality. And celebrities are often the same way. In fact, most of us are that way. A lot of times in Christian circles, when I encounter people that make I am statements, a lot of times they're doing that to sort of justify their faults. I, I can't tell you, working with Celebrate Recovery over and over again, I would encounter people who would tell me that, well, I am this way because that's how God made me. So I, I took my paycheck and I, I, I gambled it away and I don't have money to feed my kids, but that's the way God made me. God just made me really like slot machines. God just made me really like lottery tickets. God made me to really like alcohol or sex or drugs or, or whatever I'm doing. So they, their I am statement is a way of explaining who they are and why they are. Of course, a lot of times they're just blaming God for that. It's not my fault, I said, and that's the way God made me. So our, our culture is filled with I am statements, and it's easy to kind of grow distrustful of that. I, I imagine every single one of us picks a, a candidate to vote for for office. You get to know them a little bit before you decide to vote for them. You don't go on what they say, but you go on what they have done what other people that you trust have said about them, what you read about them. You want to get to know them a little bit more than just that statement. We are suspicious of statements. A person you have never seen and don't know anything about cannot stand in front of you and say, I am honest and trustworthy. You kind of want to verify that a little more before you give them your car keys, don't you? I hope so. If not, I'll get your car keys right at the end of the service. Jesus had some I am statements in his life, and I kind of want to set that up a little bit and, and explain how he gave those statements. Now, if we can set this up a little bit, the first statement that we are going to explore, I am the bread of life. I know we've all heard that one. Now, this takes place in the Gospel of John, 
And in fact, if we can set this up just a little bit, let's imagine that yesterday Jesus was, was out in Keystone Heights and he was teaching. And, and the crowd just loved his words and they were with him all along and it got late in the day and everybody was hungry. And that is when he performed this miracle with the loaves and the fish and he fed 5,000 people. Yesterday on Saturday, he fed 5,000 people. Last night, a storm came through town. Most people had gone home, they had, they had eaten their fill, you know that story. But some were left, and some stayed, and this horrible storm came through. Now his apostles were out in a boat. And Jesus came to them in the middle of the water. He walked on the water to get to them. And, and so all these people, 5,000 of them were fed. And many recognized that there had been some sort of a miracle that had happened. A lot of them didn't. They were probably there with their friends, with their family, and they're eating. And they didn't even really think about where the food came from. But some of them probably had a little bit of awareness to think, you know, I don't think there was enough food for all these people. I wonder how all this food got here. I wonder where this came from. Now, some probably thought, well, somebody brought it when I wasn't looking. But others probably recognized that, that maybe, maybe something miraculous had happened. As his apostles were out in his boat and he came walking across the water to them, this confirmed to them for sure this is something miraculous that is happening. This isn't a card trick. This isn't he just like perfectly timed this and he ordered food ahead of time and told them to show up at 4.30 with it. He came walking on the water. This is an absolute miracle and this confirmed to them they are in the presence of somebody. He's not just a really good teacher. He's not just a prophet. He's not just somebody who's a really good motivational speaker that can capture my attention, but he can walk on the water. Something is going on here that is extraordinary. In the morning, the crowd that was left realized that he was on the other side, that he had somehow crossed the water in the night in the middle of the storm. Now, I'm sure some of them kind of, well, they, he probably probably took a boat right before the storm started. Or right as the storm quieted, he, he took a boat. Somebody gave him a ride over there. Some of them probably rationalized it. Some of them probably didn't even think about it. He was here, and now it's the morning, and now he's over there. But many of them recognized he crossed the water somehow in the midst of the storm. Again, something miraculous, especially if they're thinking of yesterday there wasn't enough food, and then... And then there was enough food. And then there was enough food and there were leftovers. And now he's over there on the other side of the water. Something is unusual here. So the crowd, they, they get in their boats and they go across the water and they press into where he is because they want to know more about him. They are in a frenzy to learn from this man. And so they ask him in, the, in chapter 6 of the Gospel of John, how can we do the stuff God wants us to do? You somehow, you not only know about God, but you've got some sort of inside track here. How can I do the stuff that God wants me to do? And in verse 29 of chapter 6, Ben doesn't have that one to, to put up. We're not going to spend too much time there. Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe the one he has sent. So if you want to do the stuff that's going to please God, if you want to do the God stuff, believe in the one he has sent. Now, Jesus is the one that he sent. So Jesus is saying, if you, you want to do God's stuff, believe in me. And, and it's not just enough to believe. Because what he's saying is, you've got to believe to the point 
where you use it, where you interact with it. Because belief isn't enough. I believe that there is a gym in Keystone Heights. But believing that there's a gym in Keystone Heights, that's not getting me in shape. And I drive past it pretty frequently because it's right really close to the new Dunkin' Donuts. So I go past that gym several times a week. But I believe that it's there and I believe there's workout equipment inside, and, and, but it's not helping me. You know, I believe that eating salads is a wise, healthy choice for me. But that, that belief that the salads are good for me, that doesn't do me any good unless I actually add some salads into my diet, right? You can believe in God, and that doesn't do you any good unless you actually use that belief in your life. Is that not one of the differences between churchgoers and Christ followers? There are an awful lot of churchgoers in our culture, they believe in God. That's why they go to church. But they're not really Christ followers because they don't interact with that belief except for the hour, the hour and a half that they spend in church once a week. So it's not enough to just believe. When Jesus answers the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent, to interact with and accept the teachings of and the life of the one he has sent. Believe him to the point where you take what he says seriously. In verse 35, he declares, and this is where we're going to spend the rest of our, of our time together, our few minutes. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I am the bread of life. Let's unpack those six words really quick. I. Who is making this statement? It's Jesus. Who is Jesus? Son of God. Literally, he is a human being walking the earth, born of the Virgin Mary, but he is God's son. God in human form. Not a teacher, not a prophet, not just a really good man who, who usually didn't sin, but he was literally God, the son of God. Who else was he? The lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice, the person who is going to trade his life for the sins of the world, the person who traded his life for my sins. The person who traded his life for everything wrong that I ever did. For everything wrong that I have yet to do. He was the good shepherd. Somebody who protects, somebody who guides somebody who, who looks out for those in his care. If you are a Christ follower, you have felt that, I'm sure, at some point in your life. God's protection, God's guidance, God's, God's love for you. You have felt that kind of shepherding that, that he did. He was the king of kings. I mean, not just the king who rules, but the king who rules all the kings who rule. All the, the most powerful person that you can think of. God is in charge. They don't get to come close to knowing what God knows or being able to do what God can do. It's the Lord of Lords. He was the Messiah, the Prince of Peace. How often we forget that, that he loves peace. The Prince of Peace. 
So when he says, I am the bread of life, he's the, the Prince of Peace is the bread of life, the King of Kings, the Messiah, the sacrifice, the Son of God, God walking around as a person is the bread of life. Now the word am, I did really bad in English when I was in school. I did much better in, in reading. I've, I've loved to read since I was old enough to learn how to read. But when it came to like nouns and verbs and pronouns and adverbs and like diagramming sentences and figuring out how all that works, I, I still get confused. The best I can do is go online to a dictionary and look up the definition of a word. That's, that's the best I can do. But the definition of the word am is the present tense first person singular of be. Does everybody understand that? The present tense first person singular of be. I am. In English, the way we use English, the word am is defined by the word or the phrase that follows it. It can mean something temporary or it can mean something permanent. I can stand in front of you this morning and say, I am male, and that's, that's permanent. The word male makes that I am statement, defines it as permanent. I am Caucasian. That is permanent. But it can also take on something temporary. I am cold. Well, I can get a jacket or go stand outside for a few minutes. I won't be cold anymore. I am hungry. I can get something to eat. I am sleepy. I can take a nap. So the word behind or the phrase behind am defines whether it's permanent or whether it's temporary. And it can also mean English language is absolutely fascinating. And I hear that it is one of the hardest languages to learn if you are trying to learn it because of all these little tricks. But it can also mean something that we're not sure if it's temporary or permanent. The, the example that I thought of is I can say I am an American and we have no way of knowing whether that's permanent or whether that's temporary because what if the United States of America ceases to exist? What if, what if Canada takes over and we become the United States of South Canada? then I am going to become a South Canadian. I won't be an American anymore. Or what if I immigrate to another country and give up my citizenship to take a citizenship somewhere else? I won't be an American anymore. Now, probably that's not going to happen. Probably Canada is not going to take us over. If they've watched the same news I've been watching, they probably want nothing to do with us. They, they probably, you guys can keep all that right there where you got it. But I can make a statement, I am an American. We don't know whether that's permanent or whether that's temporary. We can, the word am defines that in different ways, and we don't really know. And, and I'm spending a little extra time digging at that because so often in our culture, I am is a declaration of something that's fleeting or something we're not sure of, something we have no way of knowing unless we check it, unless we fact check it. And I mean, if you pay attention to the news anymore, you can fact check something and you still don't know whether it's true. Somebody else can fact check it for you and you don't know whether they're telling you the truth or whether it's fact checked or not. So I am is something that in our culture we kind of sometimes get a, a very slippery grip on and have a hard time defining. But in the language that Jesus spoke at the time he said this, what I am meant, am meant, was, is, forever will be. I am. And so what he was saying is, I was the bread of life. I am right now the bread of life. And I am forever going to be the bread of life. 
This is not temporary. This is not fleeting. You don't have to, to wonder whether or not this is true. You don't have to fact check this. I am, and it is going to stay this way. You don't have to check back in a month to see, are you still the bread of life, or have you moved on to something else? I am always going to be. That is what I am meant. When he said, I am the bread of life, I, Jesus, King of Kings, am, was, right now, and forever will be, permanently, I am. Now, bread, we all are familiar with what bread is. Oh, nobody's hungry right now as I'm talking about this. Because I was, I was going over my notes yesterday, and it, it's awful hard to go over these notes when you're hungry and to think about bread. But bread is mankind's earliest recorded food that man made. Because you can't, like, go to a bread plant and pick a loaf of bread. You can't take a bow and arrow out in the woods and hunt down a wild loaf of bread and then bring it home to feed your family. Bread has to be made. Now, I know in our culture, we can go to Walmart and you can buy all the bread you want. But bread is something that is made, something you put some effort into. It's one of the earliest recorded foods. And, and in this context, everybody was familiar with bread because at that point in the culture, bread was a part of every meal or bread was the meal. Everybody was familiar with it. This is something that, that is made to nourish us, to feed us, to keep us from being hungry. I am the thing that is going to keep you from starving. I am the thing that is going to meet one of your most basic needs of being hungry. And everybody can identify with being hungry. I don't care how long it's been since your last meal, at some point in the next seven days, you are going to get hungry. For some of you, it's going to happen in the next seven minutes. For some of you, you showed up hungry this morning and you're thinking, is there, is there really going to be bread? Does he have a real life bread example that I could, that I could eat? I, I wish I did. I am the bread. I am the thing that is going to keep you from starving. I am the thing that is going to provide nourishment. I am the bread of life. And again, in his language, what he's saying, I am the bread for all of life. I am the thing that is going to nourish you for all of life. I am the bread of life. And in his, in his language, what he was telling them, I am the thing that's going to nourish you for all parts of your life. He's specifically telling them that he's not going to meet a temporary need. Because I, I don't. This is not some sort of like Oprah moment surprise I'm getting ready to deliver to you. I don't have, but if I did, if I had caterers behind that door ready to wheel out the best meal that we have ever had right now this morning and everybody ate their fill and then some and we all waddled out to our cars and went our separate ways, sooner or later you're going to be hungry again. I can't I can't find a caterer who's going to bring food so good that it's going to fill you up forever. Sooner or later, you will be hungry again. Some of you will be hungry by the time you get home. Maybe that's just me. But he is specifically telling them that it's not a temporary need he's going to meet, but a permanent one. And again, I, I just kind of want to stop there for a moment and think about the difference in our lives between having our needs met and our needs satisfied. If you are really, really tired, you can meet that need by taking a nap. 
But how many of you have ever taken a half-hour nap because you were exhausted and it wasn't enough? It was all the time you could spare to nap because you still had stuff to do, but 30 minutes of sleep wasn't enough. Can anybody identify with that? It met your needs, but it didn't satisfy your needs because you still had a need of additional rest. The same, as long as we stick with the food analogy, I brought with me this this armor can of beef stew. Now, this doesn't need to be cooked. They do recommend you heat it before you, you eat it. It makes a better warm meal than a cold one, but it doesn't need to be cooked. We can run a can opener on this and then take a spoon and eat it, and it will meet our hunger needs. But is this going to satisfy your hunger needs? Now, depending on how hungry you are, this might be the best thing you ever had, cold beef stew. I can remember in the Army being out in the woods for weeks at a time and, and getting a cold can of SpaghettiOs, and it was, it was a real treat. Not that I want a cold can of SpaghettiOs every day. This will meet that need, but is it going to satisfy that need? Like, what is, what is your favorite meal? I mean, the thing that you just love the most, the thing that, that, that if I told you I was getting ready to have that for my Sunday night dinner, that you would, you would find an excuse to show up at my house at dinner time because it is your favorite. Anybody in here like a big fan of Thanksgiving dinner? For, does anybody ever like, like go outside just so you can come back in and smell the turkey cooking? I will, I will literally, this is not a lie, I will literally get in my car and drive around on Thanksgiving just so I can come back home and come in the house and smell that turkey and, and all the stuff cooking. That's like Thanksgiving is my favorite. That Thanksgiving meal satisfies my need in a way that a cold can of SpaghettiOs or a cold can of beef stew would not. There's nothing wrong with the cold can of beef stew, really. But it's not the choice over turkey and mashed potatoes and stuffing and gravy and and homemade rolls it's just it's not the same so when jesus says i am going to meet this need i am the bread of life of all life for all needs in life he's not talking about that it's a temporary meeting of hunger that he's going to fulfill he is talking about it is a permanent satisfying meeting of needs a satisfaction that can come and i think this is so important that when they asked him what must we do to do the works that god requires and he says this is the work of god to believe in the one he has sent to believe in the one he has sent and like i talked about the gym not just to be aware of it and to acknowledge that it's there but to interact with it in some way. And then he follows that up by talking about, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Whoever engages with this will have their needs met. And and church, this is so important right now because this is one of the, the primary, basic, foundational differences between being a Christ follower and being a churchgoer. Nothing wrong with being a churchgoer unless you just go to church and you don't ever really interact with Jesus. You're just there and you stand when everybody is singing and you sit when everybody else sits and you have communion if they offer communion and then you go home and, hey, it's a really good time and I'll see you again next Sunday. 
But if you're interacting with Jesus, then this is something that you are living Monday morning and Tuesday afternoon and Friday night. It is informing your life the rest of the time, and that's what Jesus is saying, that I can be a permanent satisfaction in your life if you believe in me and interact with me and carry me with you. I can inform all areas of your life. And the Bible talks about this in several different places, that that social need that we all have. I know some people claim that they're loners, and I don't think we are designed that way at all. We like to know people, don't we? We like to be with people. We like for people to like us. Now, some of us like to be alone more than others. Some of us are more socially inclined than others, but we all need people. And in the book of Hebrews, it talks about don't give up meeting together. Don't be one of these folks that that claims to believe in God, but not believe in church. I've encountered a lot of those. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm all about God. I'm all about Jesus. I just, I just don't really do the church thing. That doesn't work. You can't be all about God if you're not all about going to church. Because going to church and being with God's people, that's a part of being all about God. Now, I'm not saying that if you have the flu, you ought to come to church anyways. We will miss you, stay home, and we'll, we'll catch you the next week. I'm not saying that if you are out of town for work and you can't be with us to quit your job so that you can be with us on a Sunday. I'm not saying that, it's, that, that it is mandatory for you to be here because you don't get into heaven based on how many Sundays you went to church anyways. But God is saying it is important that you be with other believers, not just so they can feed and take care of you, but so that you can feed and take care of them. It is important for us to do this, this fellowship thing. God can satisfy those needs But we have to do it. We have to show up. We have to put that effort in. He can meet all of our emotional needs. The book of Proverbs talks so much about our heart and about our heart needs. He can meet those those needs. And and I say to parents all the time that you've you've got your children and it's 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 important you take care of your kids and parents so many times what they what they hear what they want is i fill up my kids schedule with with t-ball and softball and dance and gymnastics and and all these extracurriculars and 10 nights a week we're going somewhere and in 28 hours a day we're booked and my kids are always busy with play dates and sleepovers and all of this stuff and, and they're, what they're wanting to do is meet their kids' social and emotional needs. And the best thing, there's nothing wrong with that stuff, but the best thing that's really going to meet those needs for your children is to interact with them while you interact together with God. Spend some time reading your Bible where your kids can see it. Spend some time praising God while your kids can see it. Teach them that that is the way that they meet their needs in a permanent way. Because then they can interact out there playing softball or gymnastics or, or out on the job site. That All their needs are met and they're not looking to have their needs fulfilled in other places. Because we all know when somebody needs to be fulfilled... They find that fulfillment outside of God in ways that derail their life, in ways that end up breaking your heart if they are in your family, in ways that can destroy their life. 
the scriptures tell us in 1 Corinthians. Your body is a temple. Meet your physical needs. Take care of your physical health because your body belongs to God. It's not yours to do with as you please, but you belong to God. Bought with a price. If any of you lacks wisdom, the book of James tells us, you should ask God. God cares about meeting those intellectual needs. I mean, let's be honest. Some of us are more intellectually deep than others. Some of us are smarter than others. Some of us are less smart than others. The key is to letting God guide you in that need so that you can be just like this silly Popeye cartoon. I am what I am, and that's all that I am. I know where I stand intellectually, and, and look, I'm not the smartest guy you're ever going to meet. I can't tell you how many times our lawnmower has stopped working, and i got to call Brother Charles. It takes him longer to drive to my house than it does for him to fix my mower. I haven't learned a doggone thing about that mower, no matter how many times I watch him doing it. My brain doesn't work that way. I can't fix that mower for anything. In fact, he has advised me to not even try, to just, just leave it for him. That makes his, makes his life easier. I've accepted my intellectual limitations when it comes to fixing a lawnmower. And I was able to accept them without having a fire or getting shocked or anything like that. Maybe I am learning. But God can meet those, those intellectual needs that we have, and he can make you comfortable with your intellectual ability. So that you don't always feel... Have you ever... Do you remember being back like in elementary school? And, and feeling dumb because you didn't understand something that it felt like the rest of the class did. You remember that feeling? And just what a, what a corrupted, broken feeling that was. God can keep us from feeling that way. God can make you very comfortable saying, well, mower won't start. Guess it's time to call Brother Charles. Instead of feeling like, I guess I'm a complete failure in life because the mower won't start and there's no way that I'm ever going to be able to fix it. God can help you feel that sense of peace. God can meet your spiritual needs. I'm not going to give you the, the scripture for this because we all know it. Love the Lord your God. You know this, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your, with all your, and with all your. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. He can meet those spiritual needs. In fact, he wants to, because he defined himself, I am the bread of life. I am the thing that will nourish all parts of your life, if you believe in me. Because he just got done telling them that you've got to believe in the one that God sent for this to work. That is the difference between being a church goer and a Christ follower. Not the believing. Everybody who goes to church believes that, mostly. Sometimes they come because their neighbor brought them or whatever. But mostly, everybody in every church in this country this morning is going to say to you, well, yeah, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. I believe Jesus was the Son of God. But are they letting Jesus meet all their needs? Because that will transform your life. Otherwise, you are just Pastor Mark driving past the gym two or three times a week with his bag of donuts 
and you're not getting any thinner and you're not getting in any better shape because believing it isn't enough. Interacting with it will transform your life.